And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Now, I think the desire to own and run one's own country takes many forms. For some people, like Alexander the Great, he goes out and conquers countries and names them after himself. Or there's people like every seven or eight-year-old who wants to have jurisdiction uh, and dominance over their own room, so their room becomes um, their name plus Ville, like Danville. And uh, it's a little club, and there's a pillow fort set up inside there, and there's no girls allowed and these are the kind of these are the extremes that it can take. Well, there's a place in the middle, a place that exists in reality, and that place is the Republic of Malaysia. Now, I am talking. Uh, I'm going to, going to speak with His Excellency President Kevin Baugh of the Republic of Malaysia. Now, it has the distinction of being the smallest sovereign nation within the United States. Yes. It is a country that exists within the borders of the United States of America, and it is run by a self-proclaimed benevolent dictator, but can such a thing exist? Well, it may in the Republic of Malaysia. So this is a, a thing. We got to just jump right into this. This is a great episode, and plus, the guy's running his own country. He doesn't have a lot of time for me to be messing around with intros, so let's get into this. Your Excellency... Mr. President Kevin Ball, thank you so much for taking time out for the program today. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Um, so now I'm calling you. Now I am using Skype, but I want to make sure there aren't any long distance charges um, to call Malasia from the states. Is that true? No, no, uh, no. It's uh, it's pretty pretty expensive, pretty standard phone stuff because we are inside the U.S. Okay, that's good. I just want to get that out of the way first, so I don't jack up the phone bill. With silly questions. <laughs> no, you're uh, fine. <laughs> so now let's talk. Not exactly, not exactly considered international calling just yet. So. Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> you don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so, absolutely. So now let's talk about uh, your country. How would you define Malasia? Uh, Malasia is a tiny, self-declared nation, uh, what one might call a micronation. Uh, it is uh, located uh, within the United States. Uh, about 35 miles southeast of Reno, Nevada. Uh, we have a total of 11.3 acres of, uh, of sovereign territory. Uh, here in Nevada, our territory is 1.3 acres, and we have the remaining 10 acres over the border in California. And uh, we have everything that a larger established recognized country would have, uh, you know, flag and national anthem and, and economy of sorts and all that sort of thing, uh, only in a much smaller package. So basically, we have our own country. Now, we're going to get to Micronation in a second, but are you the smallest sovereign nation on planet Earth? Um, well, as far as recognized sovereign nations, uh, though that, you know, recognized by, for example, the UN or the U.S. or something like that, um, because, again, Malawi is not a recognized nation. It's 
a micronation. We would like to be recognized, but we're not quite to that point yet. Uh, I guess the smallest recognized sovereign nation is the Vatican, uh, mm-hmm. Vatican City, and um, you know, within uh, in Rome. Um, but as far as uh, micronations go, uh, we are actually one of the bigger micronations, mm-hmm. since the vast majority of micronations are actually online and don't really have a physical presence out in the world like Malasia does. Oh, that doesn't... I mean, you can't have cyber property and call yourself a micronation. I refuse to recognize any sovereign nation that declares <laughs> cyberspace as their property. Uh, but I will... And there have been a few. There have been a few. That, those don't mm-hmm. count. What about in the United States? Can we go <laughs> uh, smallest in the United States? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Well, definitely. I mean, we, Malasia, we consider ourselves to be one of the uh, three North American nations. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, well, maybe is Mexico, is Mexico considered North America as a central North America? Uh, so I guess yeah, that'd be four. Yeah, One, it four is. Then. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say yeah, I also so believe that that there's four. three three nations in America as well. Um, <laughs> let's go with four. I like it. They make it four. Yeah. yeah. Now, now before we talk about micronations, I want you to kind of define that. Now, you, you want to hit. You actually do have. So you have um, about it two, uh, almost two acres in in Nevada. And then ten in the in, well, in the one point three. Yeah, one point three acres in Nevada, and then uh, uh, ten over in California in two uh, separate five acre uh, parcels. Yes, but that doesn't end your acreage, does it, Mr. President? No, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, we have a, a I guess a, a kind of a I guess a protectorate type thing, which is really more symbolic over a piece of ocean on the, on the exact side, opposite side of the Earth from us. That we call uh, Neptune Deep, and that's pretty much our territorial aspirations. That, that that doesn't really actually have any land, and we don't ever actually plan on living there. It's just more of a, like I said, symbolic thing. So yeah, our acreage here in North America, uh, the ten acres we have in California, one point three we have here in Nevada, is pretty much all we have in our country. I'm not saying we don't want to grow. We might at some point. You know, it's always looking for opportunities to grow our little, our tiny nation. Yes. Sure. Well, so now I heard there's a rumor that you guys actually claim land on Venus. Is this not true? Oh, we gave up that claim uh, actually last fall. Uh, it, it was very, it was kind of spurious anyway, and, and it's kind of a long story. It's a lot of long stories on the Indian country, I so it's kind that. of a long story. We won't need to go into that right now, but but uh, yeah, we don't really have that claim on Venus uh, anymore. Well, we look. We got an hour to talk. I know we got a lot to get to, but these are the stories that people want to hear. Now, I would suggest <laughs> actually, if you wanted to go intergalactic, uh, I think Mars is a better option because we're closer to that. And anyone's going to be that's going to be free for all. I mean, you could expand exponentially by claiming property on Mars. You know, but Mars is just overdone. I mean, all the movies are about Mars, and all the the you know satellite spaceships, everything. Everybody, everybody goes to Mars. It, it's just. Mars, Mars, Mars. You know, let's try something, try something new and different. So we went with Venus, and, and, and that, the story behind that was that uh, the previous first lady, my ex-wife, I managed to get a crater on Venus named after her uh, through um, the um, uh, USGS, US Geological Survey. They actually officially did it, and uh, as opposed to one of those ones you can just buy for ten bucks or something like that. Uh, but since she's no longer uh, with us, uh, it kind of makes that claim invalid. So we don't want to have that connection. So that, that's what that story was. <laughs> that's no, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I do love the fact that you're expanding exponentially, but I mean, you know, you could say the U S is overdone, you know, I mean, there's lots of Indian reservations that have property in the United States of their sovereign nations. Well, yeah, you absolutely. The same argument. Now, how do you compare mm-hmm. to those? Is there in, are they recognized or are they, and then we want to get exactly what recognized mean, but how do you compare with like a, a tribal nation? 
Um, Indian nations are, are considered uh, domestic uh, dependent nations, is what they're called officially, because they are dependent on the U.S. for just about everything. I mean, of course, they have land, but um, they often, you know, lack you know heavy duty economy and so forth like that. So, uh, through all the various treaties and, and so forth, without getting into all the politics that have gone over the past couple hundred years in the U.S., uh, they are they have ended up being called domestic dependent nations. We would not mind such an appellation. That would be fine. Uh, what we are actually seeking is uh, for in the interim is something called a, uh, a pact of free association with the United States, which is something that the uh, um, nations of Micronesia and Palau and the Pacific have. There's their former U.S., I guess, uh, trust territories or something like that. But now they're uh, semi-independent and they have a sort of free association thing going on with the U.S. government. We would love to have that. Uh, we are small, and so we cannot be totally independent. We are too little to stand on our own as a sovereign nation. Our economy is not strong enough, etc. So we're looking for something in between until, you know, sometime in the distant, distant future, it might grow into a larger and more sovereign nation. So if you if you grew into one, what would uh, what, you call the uh, parental, um, like the, the how did you, how did you um, denote that? Oh yeah, that that that's the uh, Treaty of Free Association or Compact of Free Association, free association. Uh, between the U.S. yeah and Palau and Micronesia. Uh, Micronesia. So uh, two different entities there. But so, they, but yeah, they have, yeah um, that's what we're kind of looking for. But don't they have they have representation in Congress, right? Or is that just Guam and Puerto Rico? No, no, they're they're actually uh, virtually independent. I mean, they, they have certain uh, rights. I think the way it works is they have certain rights with uh, for uh, defense. Uh, from the U.S. So the U.S. has, has a, an obligation to go in and defend them as opposed to them defending, you know, having their own army and air force and maybe all that kind of stuff. It. So uh, it, it's kind of like uh, uh, they, I guess, loosely defined, they run their own country within their own country, but all the external stuff is, uh, you know, uh, basically the responsibility of the U.S. And the U.S. citizens, so, the taxpayers, are who take care of that, aren't they, sir? Right, and I think they have some sort of connection there. Not, I don't think they're getting like a free ride. They've got some sort of some, some sort of deal going on with the government. But I don't like free I don't rides. Think, I don't think the U.S. really, really, U.S. Really doesn't really do that much for them because they don't really need it. They're running their own affairs, but they still have a free association, you know, thing going on there, kind of. A, Got it. Kind of, like I said, a compact. So now let's walk into the realm that you kind of live in, which is a micronation. Um, can you kind of explain mm -hmm. that a little bit? And then also kind of, um, if you can, explain what does being recognized versus not recognized mean? Um, sure. Uh, well, again, uh, a micronation basically is a tiny self-declared country. Um, tiny being all the way down to just being online or uh, having territory like that, that we have that we consider to be sovereign. Uh, but generally, uh, well, not generally, universally, they're not recognized uh, by established nations. In fact, uh, generally Well, virtually, because, you, you know, you, it's, it's hard to do absolutes, but uh -huh. actually, absolutely no micronation is recognized <laughs> as a sovereign nation. Fair so enough. I thought about it, I'm like, no, nah, not, not virtually, no. It's truly <laughs> no yeah. micronation is recognized. you got to commit. But we, we constantly are, you know, attempting to reach out, you know, emails and stuff like that with other established nations, just to, just to have some sort of contact. Uh, we recognize that sovereignty is still outside of our reach. Uh, it's just not something that is really done right now. Uh, in all actuality, to say, for example, a nation, uh, I don't know, something, uh, the Bahamas, 
uh, decided to go ahead and recognize the Republic of Malaysia. Well, the Bahamas, they get a lot of uh, travel and tourism and so forth from the United States. And so now they've created an international incident by recognizing this tiny country <laughs> within the U.S. So now the U.S. says nobody can go to the Bahamas. Sorry. And, you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, Dude, that would be awesome. Do you understand all, the headlines? all those vacationers. You would pull so many so, headlines if you caused an international incident. I, I would want to be a guy who yeah. caused an international incident. I want to do this with you, if you'll let me. <laughs> well, we like I said, we do reach out on occasion, but we don't get any real response. And, and, and that's for understandable reasons, like I said. You, you don't want to mess with the big guy on the block in the U.S. He is pretty much the big guy on the block. So uh, no, that's I fair. think we will stay unrecognized for a while and we really don't have a problem with that we have a lot of fun with our country and uh whereas we would like to have uh some sort of recognition at some point as a sovereign nation uh we're actually perfectly happy to trundle on doing what we're doing right now you know having a good time with the idea and, and activities that we do uh here in our own self-declared nation so now you have a self-declared nation i mean this thing you got a lot of things going on here a lot of infrastructure we're going to get to in a second uh, a lot of government bureaucracy as well um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. however, you have a U.S. address, correct? Right. Well, there's a thing called the International Postal Union, and just like diplomacy, if they don't recognize that you exist, you, know, you don't get an independent address. So, <laughs> so. so you have to get a United States. That's got to be an insult. Every day the postal guy or, or gal comes to your house and delivers newspaper. It's like a slap in the face by Uncle Sam, right? Yes and no. I mean, we do we do occasionally receive mail when people deliver it. I'm sorry, when they address it without uh, having like a street address or something along that line. Uh, as long as it does say something like Republic of Malaysia, uh, Nevada, USA, uh, it'll, it'll reach us. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's always, always going to have the USA thing on there. But yeah, like I said, uh, you know, unless you recognize the International Postal Union, probably not going to have <laughs> a separate address. Otherwise, we'd all be doing that. Sure, I would. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, sure. So now, when did this become a nation? How did this, what's the history of this? Malaysia was originally founded uh, on May 26th of 1977. Uh, back then, it was called the Grand Republic of Goldstein. That was the previous name for it. Uh, I was the prime minister, and my friend James was the king. Yes, it was a republic with the king. Don't even go there. And, uh, you know, we, we had seen this old movie called uh, The Mouse That Roared with Peter Sellers. And we were really uh, taken with the imagination and creativity uh, of that movie. And so we decided we we're going to go ahead and start our own country. And uh, we went off for a little while, but then James moved on to other things. And I stayed with it, though. Stayed with the, uh, with the idea and the concept through uh, all the years. And when um, uh, we got property here in northern Nevada in 1988, I changed the name to Malasia. And uh, we put the flagpole, raised the flag, and we've been going strong here in this location ever since. Um, now, the mouse that roared, that's about a small country that wages war in the United States, correct? Right, and with the, with the expect, expectation that they're going to lose, uh, because, you know, good things come to countries that lose wars with the U.S., you know, new right. infrastructure and everything. Uh, but, in fact, they managed to capture this super-secret you know, Uber bomb, and uh, so they basically win. Wow, spoiler alert and, there, Mr. <laughs> President. You just spoiled the movie for me. Yeah. No, 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 no. They win, but that's early, earlier on in the movie to where you don't know how to, how it actually winds up because now you've got a very tiny country with a super, super bomb and so chaos then ensues. And so you have to figure out, you know, what's, where it's going to go from there. But it's one of those, like I said, an older movie, uh, not very well known, uh, but it's a lot of fun. 
And again, we were really taken with the imagination and creativity of that movie. Uh, you know, little country that invades the U.S. with the intention of losing, and then they're, all their soldiers are dressed in chain mail with crossbows, and instead they actually win. And so we thought, okay, cool, let's start our own, start our own country. And uh, we did, and still going at it. So now did you, when were your initial intentions to start your own country and then wage war upon the United States? I mean, did you have those types of no. aspirations to overthrow the government? No, no, no nothing like that. Uh, if you want to look at it from after all these years now, what, 39, 39 years, uh, Malafia is basically an extension of that idea that kids, so some kids have when they want to declare their their bedroom to be an independent country, so yeah. they pick up yeah. socks and dirty laundry. You know, yeah. is just an extension of that. It's just, a, you know, it's that idea but having never let go of it and building on it and building on it and building on it. So that's what it is. It's not a protest. We're not protesting against the U.S. It's nothing to protest. They, they do awesome, amazing things, and we're just fine with that. So now what if you're – now this guy, King James, this is no relation to LeBron James, right? Because he calls himself King James. They're yeah. two separate people, right? No connection. Yeah, there's a lot of Jameses out there, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I didn't. But no. yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. So now, now let's say he comes back into the history, right? Can he reclaim his throne – and then um, was there a civil war? What's going to happen then? Um, I guess he would, but he's not. He married a young lady and moved to Mexico. So I don't think, I don't think he's going to be coming back anytime soon. <laughs> so I was in touch with James about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, and uh, he, he's, on his, he's doing his own thing. So he's not interested in, in uh, anything really involving the policy. Although he's very impressed that we've done fun things with it ever since. So. He liked that part, but he's got his own life and do his own thing. Well, I, I would love to inspire him to come back because I'd love to see what would happen historically. But uh, <laughs> now let's talk about the population. How many people are currently um, a living there and b are citizens, and that may be different numbers. Well, they are different numbers. Actually, let's go let's go backwards. So the, okay. the total population of Mafia is thirty-two, and that actually includes our dogs. Our dogs are in fact citizens, and. Um, Resident here in Malasia right now, we have seven human and five dog citizens, and the remaining human citizens live outside the country, what we call expatriates living in the U.S. <laughs> so, so they have dual citizenship? No, well, yeah, all Malasians have dual citizenship. Our country's too small for us to just have just like one citizenship. I mean, most Malasians uh, visit the U.S. every day mm-hmm. because, you know, it's right over there. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. In fact, it's right over there and right over there. We're surrounded. So, yeah. Now, how does one get citizenship? Like, could I apply for citizenship? Like, what are your immigration laws? Uh, we don't have immigration laws. In order to be a Malawian citizen, you have to be a member of our family, mm-hmm. uh, extended family, but our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't allow new citizens in our country. Um, oh, I suppose really? if there was some, you know, I mean, I'm, we'll, we'll have a few new citizens this fall when my son marries his, uh, his fiance. So uh, we'll bring her into the fold, and she'll be an official Malawian citizen. But, you know, that kind of thing. But, yes, it's a family nation. So isn't that like a monarchy, then? No, it's just like I'm the father of my country, literally. (laughs) So now what kind of of government do you have in Malasia? Malasia is officially a republic, but de facto it is a dictatorship, and I am the dictator. Yes, I'm called the president, but then most dictators are called president. So, uh, yeah, I'm the dictator and the ultimate ruler of the country. Um, so now, do you rule with an iron fist, or how does that, no. like, how do you do, I mean, executions every day? I'm a very, very, yeah, I'm a very benevolent dictator. Everybody kind of does it. The nice thing about 
having a very small country where everyone is pretty much family is pretty much everyone's on the same sheet of music. So I don't really have to crack heads or anything like that to get anything done. Uh, everyone kind of does what they need to do in order to make the make the country move along smoothly. So uh, it, yeah, I'm definitely a benevolent dictator. But would you crack heads, Your Excellency, if need be, to keep people in line? I suppose, but it wouldn't necessarily be literal cracking heads. It'd be more like grounding or something like no, that. Not literal cracking heads, <laughs> but so you're so you're benevolent. No, no, we, have, we have no need for that. We have no need for such things. Malassians are are awesome folks, and we all get along very well. So there's no no need to be uh, cracking any heads. You know what's great about what you do there is that there have been a lot of arguments that throughout uh, you know of all the forms of government that can that can rule that a benevolent dictatorship is in fact the best form of government. Um, but but it's hard to practice on a large scale. But on a very small scale, you're proving that it works every single day. It does work. And, and even as an extension of that, and setting aside the dictatorship part, uh, I firmly believe that small is good because it's good to know your people. And, of course, I know all these people because they're my family. But setting that aside, even if it was a little bit bigger, um, say, for example, the whole valley that we're in here, it would then still be easy to uh, respond to the people's needs because they're all right here and they're not scattered across, you know, hundreds of thousands of square miles. And so I, I really believe that smaller government is, uh, is a good thing. I mean, physically smaller, like in small packages, right. that is to say, right. Small area, you know? Uh, so now I'm going to ask you a very controversial question. I'm just going to preface it by that. So you don't hang up on me. Um, <laughs> okay. So, for anyone who's, who, who uh, I assume you are a United States citizen, and yeah. can currently mm-hmm. are a United and States citizen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, as a United States citizen, um, you know, and, and we look if we look throughout history for people who have done similar things, um, if if someone were to secede from the Union, look at the Civil War, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. are, or who or create their own country within another country. Some of those people are labeled as as traitors and and, and treacherous under you know undermining the government of the United States. Could that be mm-hmm. con- you know could someone uh, describe what you're doing as that in a way? Um, I suppose in some very vague way, yeah, it could be done. But we don't advocate any sort of revolution against the United States. We don't advocate overthrow of the government or anything like that. Um, we have no no violent tendencies towards or the U.S. or anything like that, but we're, we're very fond of and, in fact, are part of uh, the United States. So uh, we have no no real issues like that. I mean, I guess it could anything could be construed as anything, though, to look at it through you know, the right kind of glasses. I guess so. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so now, let's, so, uh, now yeah. on that note, let's take a – so the attire that, that you're normally seeing, the traditional – I assume it's the traditional uh, attire of a Malassian president. Is is kind of like it's kind of like a combination of like a Kim Jong Il, you know, or the dictator, the Sasha Baron Cohen dictator. Yeah, you got you you got to have a cool looking uniform. And when you're a dictator, you have to have a neat uniform. Right. And uh, I, I I very very carefully craft that. <laughs> well, so so if you okay, that's great. You carefully crafted that. The one thing I have to ask is, you have a Hitler mustache in some of the pictures and some of the videos. Why'd you go with that? Like everything I else, I can kind of like okay, that's cool. But like that mustache. Because is... my hair is, because my hair is blonde, and I did not realize for many, many years that 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 mustache looked like that until <laughs> it was pointed out about a decade ago. Whoops. So it was kind of a, kind of a sore subject because had I known it, I would have got rid of it a long time. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's really funny. Uh, I didn't really. That's actually really funny. Um, so there's an all an accident. It wasn't. It's not a thing to strike fear yeah, in the hearts it was of your enemies. Never, never intentional. No. Huh? For a long time, uh, back in the eighties, I actually had a beard. So of course the, that made the whole thing kind of move. But right, right. When right. the uh, beard, beard went away, it's just a mustache. I never really realized that it had that sort of appearance. So, anyway. Um. So now, do you require a passport to enter into the into the country? We don't require it, but we definitely encourage it. Um, we have a lot of visitors that come to Malasia, and we have a passport stamp, and we very happily stamp the passport. Um, it doesn't really cause any problems whatsoever when you when you go to another country. Nobody pays any attention to that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, so when our visitors come, we stamp their passports. Uh, we, we like them to bring a passport, but it's not mandatory at all. About maybe only about maybe a quarter of our visitors will actually bring their passports. A lot of Americans don't even have passports, so that's uh, that's kind of a kind of a normal thing for them. But if they come, we'll stamp it and then show them around the nation. Now, now, I know you said that you didn't, uh, that you don't have any violent intentions towards the United States, and I believe you 100%. Um, but throughout the history of Malaysia, from what I can tell, there are you have a war department. You have had conflicts with other with other micronations. Can you tell me about some of those um, some of those conflicts? Uh, well, the principal one that everybody's interested in is our ongoing and never-ending war with East Germany. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the one that catches everyone's attention because uh, the folks that know uh, about the Cold War know that East Germany essentially went away in uh, 1991 when East and West Germany were united after the fall of the Berlin Wall and all that. However, that's not true, and the war does continue because East Germany still exists. That war was actually, uh, well, a part of East Germany still still exists. Uh, That war was actually spawned back in 1983 when I was with the United States Army uh, stationed in then West Germany. And, uh, we, you know, as, as you have to do when you're in the Army, uh, they got us up every now and again in the middle of the night, we would give them our tanks and go to a staging location to be prepared to repel the Soviet hordes, which, thank goodness, never came. Uh, but one too many times that happened, and I declared, I was still a prime minister of, I was prime minister when Malasia was still called the Grand Fleet of Boldstein, and so I declared war on the nearest East Bloc nation, which was East Germany, and then forgot all about it. <laughs> and a few years ago, I pulled out this piece of paper, uh, well, I was going through the files, you know, as you, as you tend to do sometimes. Sure, and I pull out this paper and discover I saw this war declaration. And I'd forgotten all about this thing. And then I did a little research and discovered that East Germany, in fact, still exists in the form of a tiny, uninhabited little spit of sand off the coast of Cuba. That's right. That's Tailman Island, also known as Cayo Blanco del Sur, was given to East Germany by Cuba back in 1973. Uh, probably symbolic, but nevertheless, it wasn't addressed at all in unification between East and West, so it still hangs out there in limbo, essentially East German territory. And since we are at war with East Germany, and that piece of East Germany still exists, we're still at war, probably forever, with an uninhabited piece of land off the coast of Cuba. But why forever? I mean, it seems like you're a peaceful There's nation. There's no people there. But can't you There's go? No people but there. you can go there and plant your flag, and then that will. But that's historic. You, if you go there, because we now have opened up, um, you know, travel to Cuba. You can travel there. Sure. You can you can go to the sure. island, plant your flag, end the war, become a peaceful nation once again. And not only that, but generally you make when history. you end wars, though, there's a treaty. Generally, when you, when you end wars, there's a treaty. There's someone with whom to. You know, you sit down. This person signs that. This person signs that. There's no people. All there is is marine iguanas. So, and they don't really write so well. 
So uh, anyway, uh, Art of War of East Germany also has a little bit of political political satire. Right. It kind of pokes fun at the concept of war and the absurdity of war, because it is absurd to be at war with a country that doesn't exist anymore. And so we're actually very happy to let our war with East Germany go on. Plus, it's always nice to have uh, the ever-present evil bad guy. You know, and some nations require that. Uh, I think the U.S. was a little bit lost when all the communists went away. So uh, they need to have an, an evil bad guy. So, they are, so we have our evil bad guy upon whom to blame all the ills of the nation to the beginning, which fortunately is not to me. But if you – so if you took over – let's just continue this thought for a little bit. Uh, if you were to plant your flag on that little strip of land, that would essentially end East Germany, right? So if you took it over, it's uninhabited. So if they can't defend themselves. Right. But yet technically East Germany still exists, as you've pointed out through your right. through your through mm-hmm. your document research. That's kind of crazy. If you were to go there, plant your flag and claim it, you will end East Germany. That will be the end of East Germany. Until then it will always exist. That's historic. Yes, I could. In theory, of course I would probably be promptly arrested by the Cuban uh, you know, authorities that are roaming about, but <laughs> in the meantime, for a few seconds, it'd be great. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, so now let's talk. You've had a couple other conflicts as well. The war doesn't begin and end with East Germany. Um, you were you were you were for a very short period of time occupied um, by. I'm, I, I hope I don't butcher this name, uh, but not that you care because they're your sworn enemy as well. I imagine, but uh, I'm going to say it's probably Kickassia. Is that is that correct? Right, Kickassia. Uh-huh. What happened? Yeah, Kickassia was basically. Uh, it was a movie that was um, filmed here in Malasia, and, and it depicted the, um, I guess, the addiction of me as the president, and then replacement by their main person, and then there was infighting and so forth back and forth, and then they kicked him back out and put me back in, and that was pretty much the end of the story. The movie itself was really funny. Uh, it was filmed over a grueling three days, about I think six years ago, something like that, and uh, it was uh, it was all spawned by a. Um, uh, a group of folks from a website called That Guy with the Glasses, and they're all a bunch of game reviewers and computer uh, uh, game, computer game reviewers and uh, old movie reviewers and so forth like that. But anyway, they're scattered all over the world. And once a year, they would come together. I don't know if they still do this, but they would come together in, in one location, and we were their second anniversary meetup uh, to uh, come in and make this movie, which was a lot of fun. It really was. And, and uh, for anybody that's listening, watch the Kikassi movie at called Kickassia, and it's on YouTube. It's an hour and 15 minutes long, something like that. Uh, and it's pretty funny. I mean, it's very irreverent. So there, there's going to be some some things that some people might raise their eyebrows, you know, folks of religion and so forth like that. But but it was still a lot of fun to do. And so that's the story behind the Kickassia thing. We don't really play it off as an actual war uh, anymore. It was fun to do that for propaganda purposes when it first happened. But sure. <laughs> now, now it's more like a movie that was made here. So, did you offer any incentive? Were there, was there like an incentive program um, like that we have in the States when people shoot movies in different um, parts of the country? No, not necessarily. It was, I mean, that was early on when we were just starting to get people to visit Malasia. Uh, and so it was, you know, like, I guess you would say, you, new and unique uh, to have, you know, a couple of van loads worth of computer nerds roll up the driveway. Yeah, but uh, I guess, you know, now, now it's something we're taking into consideration because we've had so much media visit Malasia, we're seriously starting to think about, you know, having a media visa or something like that that would require a small fee because so many folks want to come visit our, our little country. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. You guys could, you guys could, so I, I don't know if you have a national debt there, but you you would be able to maybe have a surplus of cash. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 
<laughs> so now, now let's talk about there's one other conflict that that I want to talk about, um, which is my personal favorite is the conflict with Mustachistan. Uh, oh, right. So, and, and, and the and the um you know the anniversary of the ending of that war just just passed June eighth. Um, tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that about that war. How did that come to be? Well, there are two stories there. Okay, okay. so there's like a front story and a back story. Okay. And uh, the front story the front story is that I helped a gentleman called uh, Ali Ali Oxenfree make his own micronation, Sultan, and he claimed all of right? Nevada and Sultan Ali. He's Ali a Sultan, Oxenfree, yes. Right. Uh huh. And uh, and he claimed all of uh, pretty much all of Nevada, and that would include Malasia. And then there was some muscling back and forth, and you know he was ungrateful for for our help, and decided he was going to go to war with us, and we went to war with him. And there was shooting and fighting back and forth, and uh, <laughs> and then basically we won the war. Treaty was signed. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, you know there was a parade and, and wonderful things, medals passed all around, and a monument. That's the front story. Now the back story is. Uh, one of the, I guess you could say, standard and never-ending arguments uh, among some of our younger micronations is a total affection for the idea of war. Uh, these are young, new micronationalists, and all the first thing they want to do is, is get mad at somebody and go to war with them. But the reality is that micronational war can't exist because if you and your micronation are online and you're living in Pennsylvania and the guy you're mad at's living in Florida, what are you going to do? Hop a greyhound and go down and punch him in the nose? I mean, that's not war. You know, so micronational war doesn't really exist. It's just people yelling at each other, spamming someone's inbox or something like that. However, I said, what if it did exist? What would it look like? So I did a lot of research on all the propaganda, all the lead up reasons for war and all that. And then I created this war uh, with Mustachistan <clears throat> just to see what it would look like uh, to have a war, basically. And, uh, of course, all very compressed into a very short period of time, like a couple months. So the war itself only lasted a couple weeks. Uh, but at any rate, and then I talked my friend Tony at work into um, being Sultan Ali Ali Oxenfree, which basically just meant posing for some pictures and occasionally waving his finger at the camera. And uh, he wasn't really actually involved in the war. So, so anyway, and then uh, at some point uh, we went out and staged a couple battles. Myself and uh, my number two son. Uh, we were uh, alternately we were mustache stammies, and then we would cut the film, and then we'd be Malasi and shooting back, and cut the film, and we'd be mustache stammies shooting back, and so forth like that. It was all it was a lot of fun. It was fun to put together, and again, it was a form of satire, but in this case, not necessarily satire. It was outside the American national community, but more poking fun at all the young guys that think that they're going to war by. I don't know, like I said, spamming someone's inbox or something like that. I like that. So this is basically a war fabricated by your Ministry of Propaganda. Um, but yes, I, absolutely. I, I do it's love that you're, that you're, is it the Ministry of Propaganda? Well, we have lots of ministries, so yeah, let's go with that. Okay. So the Ministry of the Propaganda. <laughs> They're all me. <laughs> I love that the Ministry of Propaganda that you have has expanded into media because, in fact, you know, you're bringing people in to stage battles or to, you know, you're, you're creating your own. Like, you have your own media force, you know, almost similar to Lenny Riefenstahl, not to go back to, to the Nazi propaganda with, with the mustache thing. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, you have, like, this mm-hmm. kind of cool little media thing. Um, that does these kind of, and, and it's amazing, uh, video. Like you do a lot of great stuff. It looks like a world war two newsreel. Like it's, it's really funny. Yeah, absolutely. It was very intentional to, to do it like that. Um, I did study up on various, you know, war newsreels and, and, uh, you know, I also created an entire war department, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, we sold war bonds, but the actual war only lasted, like I said, a, a couple of weeks. So nobody actually bought any bonds at any time. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, but yeah, it was, 
it was really a sort of a propaganda thing. And again, it was supposed to be sort of a, a lesson, if you will, as to um, you know, micronational war and how it can't really exist. But if it did, maybe we look like this, not what you guys are doing. So now you have, do you still sell war bonds or are they, or is that done? We sell war bonds right now for the, for the East Germany war. We sell war bonds right now. And I think they cost like five bucks or something like that. Sure. And, uh, so, and of course all, all, all that sort of thing, all the sort of money goes into the greater till from Mossy to, to, uh, improve our nation very specifically to improve our nation. Um, now, now do you guys have a constitution and is it publicly available? No, we do not have a constitution. Uh, I think we used to have one somewhere. I don't know. But since I'm a dictator, I sort of rule by decree, and we have a vast number of rules and so forth, edicts and, and decrees that I've come up with over the years. So, no, no constitution. Is it true that you you declared a state of martial law or is, that continues to this day based on yes, the— Yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Really? So you, you are in a current state of martial mm-hmm. law? Yeah, and probably forever. <laughs> I, cho- I chose this government specifically. Uh, there are no military dictatorships out there in the micronational world. There are a lot of kings and dukes and emperors and, and all this. And there's even a handful of presidents and commonwealths and all that. But there are really no military dictators. And so I, I wanted something that was different. And, uh, of course, it's very easy, especially, you know, having, uh, you know, been up and around alive during the 60s, 70s, 80s when there were, you know, scads of military dictators all over the world. It's very easy to emulate those guys and know, you know how they did what they did. And if you will, all those bad words used with inspiration from them. So, yeah, I wanted a very specific look and a very specific feel to Malasia. Um, now, and, and there was a, I came across a YouTube post where you kind of address um, a group of school children who have asked questions about mm-hmm. your great nation. And yes. in, that, in, in that video, you say that in 2016, you will have um, an election. Is this true? Is it going to be like a paper election? You know, is it going to be an election that doesn't matter at all? Like, what's going to happen with this? Oh, no, it would totally be a, a completely fake election. I mean, I have absolutely no intention of not being in charge of this country. So, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean it would be a typical dictatorial election where it's rigged completely, and uh, we would have mass quantities of, of, uh, of you know, ballots far, far more than our population, you know, maybe two or 300 ballots <laughs> in favor of me, you know, something along that line, all that sort of thing. But... Uh, Honestly, I got distracted by other stuff in life, and I don't think we're going to have an election. I, and I can do that. I can put it off. There's really no call for an election here in Malaysia. Nobody else wants this job. It's a lot of work. So That's true. <laughs> I can tell you now. <laughs> Nobody we, wants to be president of Malaysia. I will tell you that it would be adorable to to look at um, the five dog citizens that you have. Is it five or seven? Seven, do- seven five dog citizens? We have, we have five dogs. Five dog citizens. Mm-hmm. It would be really yeah. cute to see them dressed up. Um, in the colors of Malasia inside of a voting booth. I'm just saying photo op. People on the internet love that stuff. <laughs> sure. So with a little sure. paw print on you know, the big <laughs> – I think that would be amazing. Well, I will definitely keep that in mind. I think that's – yeah, that's free, <laughs> free advice. Um, so now, now you do realize that, that the United, now you are very close to the United States government, you know, both, both geographically and, um, and idealistically. You do mm-hmm. understand that the CIA has taken out dictators um, through most of America's history, or at least the CIA's history. Do you ever fear that, that that's going to happen, that, that your number is no. going to come up? No, not at all. No, we're not threat to the United States. We're tiny. And, and our full armament consists of a couple of bows from uh, the sporting goods store and a couple of single-shot muskets. So I think we're in no, no real danger to the United States at all, so I don't think we can take it out. Uh, I mean, on the official level... The United States would consider us to be 
basically something like an art project or an expression of free speech. Because <laughs> we're not we're not a threat to the U.S. at all. It's kind of it's <laughs> funny, but a little dismissive. Um, so let's let's talk about your military since you brought it up because you guys just recently had a military training exercise uh, just a couple of days did. ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. so, we, yeah, we went out and uh, practiced with our muskets and our bows uh, out in the in the desert over the border in the U.S. And that was a lot of fun. It really was. The, the muskets are very hard to load. They're very cumbersome and very heavy. And so it's good to get, get all the uh, various Malawian citizens that are interested uh, to uh, out there to practice shooting them. How do you, so, yeah, we have a good time with that. And if they're 1853 uh, muskets, right? So they're, these are, yeah, these are and, antique yeah, and muskets. rifle muskets. Yeah, well, they're not literally from 1853. Reproduction oh, okay. was made about 20 years ago. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, because the original ones, you don't want to shoot those because metal does not age well. So, <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, there are many Civil War reenactors that can say, "Don't do that," because they shot their eye off. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, so now you have a standing <laughs> Navy, correct? We do. Yes, always. Uh huh. We do not have an Air Force. We do not have an Army, but we do have a Navy. Absolutely. Now you're a landlocked country, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do you have a Navy? Definition of irony. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say because you're 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 an expert. I mean, because you served in in the U.S. Armed Forces, correct? Yes, uh -huh. absolutely. Well, thank you. Years. Thank you for serving, by yes. the way. Oh. Um, oh, oh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, and and so, so it seems funny that your expertise clearly you are uh, your expertise lies in training a standing army, but a standing navy. Uh, but you have four ships, so I mean, you have. You uh, have we actually have. Uh, Less than that? Five, four, five, something. No, no, I think we have four or five. We might have five. But we have we have four four one-seat inflatable kayaks and one two-seater. So, yeah, they're all inflatable kayaks. So that's if the full extent of our Navy uh, are inflatable kayaks. So we can store them away when we're not, we're not needing them. Sure. But yes, we deploy our Navy at least two or three times. That's about two or three times a year. Um, usually, of course, in the local lakes over the border in the U.S., uh, primarily to Lake Tahoe because it's the nicest lake to go out on. Sure. Uh, nice clear water and everything. So. And what's the average yes, age of your, of, your of your soldiers? Uh, well, pretty much everyone in Malasia is considered to be a member of the Malasian Navy, <laughs> uh, all of our citizens. So there's really no, no average age, uh, probably somewhere, you know, would be whenever the first kids go out. So probably if you had to average it, somewhere in the 20s, I'd imagine, you know, or late teens or something like that. But, yeah. Well, that's fair. So basically, when the naval when the navy deploys to Lake Tahoe, which is where again we usually deploy to, uh, in in my mind, uh, it is the navy deploying, but everybody else's mind today at the lake. So I mean, <laughs> whatever it takes to get them out there. Sure. Well, I mean, and also I think what kind of confuses that median age is the fact that, as you said, all the canines in Malasia are citizens as well, and they have kind of a strange, um, you know, for every seven years, it's one human year. But then also you have your own set of um, of units of measurement, so I don't know how that all gets confused. So, who well, knows? units of measurement don't really cross over in the age area, okay, and we really right. don't get much consideration to the age of, the age of our dogs. I mean, you know, <laughs> on average. They're actually fairly old, so. <laughs> oh, that's fair. But uh, they're they're definitely yes men. Whatever I want them to do, they will do. <laughs> so. Now, have you? Do you fear because you have you have older sons, correct? And by older, I mean um, over eighteen. Mm -hmm. Do you have? Oh, yes. Do you fear a coup, or, or or do you? I mean, will anyone overthrow your government, or are you grooming no, no, them for no, a secession? It's plan? actually the other extreme. I, it's actually the other extreme. I sincerely hope that someone will take over when I'm gone. This is actually this really seriously is a lot of work running a country. I mean. 
you can do it half ass. Sorry to use the word language. Oh man, just go ahead. Uh, but I try very hard not to do that, and um, I work very hard to respond to respond to correspondence, uh, come with new ideas, uh, you know, whatever new construction projects, improving the nation, uh, that sort of thing. And that's primarily me. And so when it comes time for someone to take over. I certainly hope there's someone who has that kind of energy. Uh, <laughs> no, no, nobody really wants to. Uh, nobody wants to take over the country. There really is other things. I mean, that's kind of the way it is with countries. Everyone's doing their own thing, and you got these guys over here that are running the show. Right. So I mean, that's how it works. Only without there's no these guys. It's primarily just me and, and then the first lady. And you you may have to hold a real election at that point when you when you are set to retire. You may have to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I consider myself to be president for life. I mean, really, I don't see there's going to be any stepping up. Never know. We've got a grandson now. There you go. And he'll, uh, a couple of them, actually. You know, he might step in. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This could be like Game of Thrones, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so now let's talk about, you also have a space program, a very active space program, correct? Mm-hmm. Now tell me about this yes. thing. What, do you guys, mm-hmm. what, do you, what, what are your goals with it, and what kind of missions have you gone on? Um, we've done all kinds of things with it. Basically, our space program is launching model rockets. Um, yeah. you know, the kinds you can buy you know, commercially at the hobby store, that kind of thing. Uh, but there's a, a wide variety of model rockets. And so uh, we do a wide variety of things. We've launched, uh, for example, um, two different rockets at the same, si- same size and same time to see if they go up the same height. Uh, we put some Mexican jumping beans inside a rocket so we can launch a living thing uh, up into space, although it doesn't really go to space. Uh, that sort of thing. Well, and we launched you know, rockets with a little... Um, a little area for, for cargo, a little small space to put things in, launch you know, the same rocket with and without something inside it, just see how high it will go. Basically, that's what our space program does. We just test to see what we can do with rockets uh, and have a good time with it, and we really do. We, in fact, we just launched some, uh, I think, about a week ago. A week ago yesterday, uh, we went out and um, uh, launched a rocket just to you know, just keep our, our practice going. We haven't launched them maybe for a couple, couple of years now. It really hasn't been anything. This year, though, we're going to put a camera on one. Uh, we had a camera rocket. It was large, but it's kind of older. And um, because it's large and old, I'm afraid to launch it because it might not come back down in one piece. Uh, so I've got a smaller rocket with a camera that I'm going to put on that and we're going to see if we can do like, aerial views of Malasia and so forth. So just always coming up with ideas. That's kind of what we do here in Malasia. See what we can do with the idea of a country and then the things that, we, that a country would do. So you, you haven't, like, reached out to SpaceX or anything to do any genuine space exploration. This is all, you know, 30 feet up in the air. No, yeah. Yeah this, yeah, this, yeah, this is all the little rocket stuff. Uh, uh, one of our fellow uh, micronations, Bikes Land, is up in uh, Canada. And they managed to get their uh, the Bikes flag um, on, uh, I think it was like a suborbital flight or something where they have a camera and you can see all these people that sponsored it. So uh, they, they kind of trumped us on that, but that's okay. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, every, it's the space Every race. country does what they do. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's very absolutely. similar to the Russians. You know, that's, they, were, they were Sputnik. You gotta, now you got to land someplace. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, they actually got to the edge of space, which something we're a little bit further away. We can't copy their idea. Now, that we. that wouldn't be very cool to do that. No. Uh, they they kind of took it, took it and ran with it, and that's fine. Yeah, we, we definitely are always working, working in other directions. Now, now, when you sent the Mexican jumping beans into space, how come you didn't use Molossian jumping beans? Well, there aren't any Molossian jumping beans. Okay, that's fair enough. Good <laughs> answer. Do you consider like an animal rights violation to launch them into space, or you don't care about that? That's why we chose. That's why we chose Mexican jumping beans because they're. I mean, I know it's it's a basically it's a larva inside of a uh, inside of a bean inside of a nut, if you will. 
Uh, and so we didn't really consider it was going to be a real problem if uh, if they didn't make it. But they, the beans didn't complain, so we're in good shape. You, you don't know PETA, <laughs> my friend. Um, so now let's talk. About, <laughs> let's talk about your economy because you you actually have a, a, a sure. pretty interesting economy here. Um, but I guess before that, we should talk about your unit of measurement because the economy is all in units of Molossian measurement, um, MM for short. So tell me a little bit about your units of measurement. Well, the measurement system doesn't really connect to the economy, but uh, we do have our own measurement system. It's called the Koken measurement system uh, after the scientist in the movie The Mouse That Word. Um, but it was deliberately designed to be confusing, much like the uh, um, English system, which seems to be permanently embedded in American society. Uh, so it doesn't, I, I really couldn't actually rattle much off at you, except to know that um, the one main unit of distance, which is called the Norton, uh, is my hand. My right hand primarily, it's about seven inches long. Yeah. So there you go. That's the, that's our basic unit measurement. There's other stuff too, uh, the Sims and the Bascom and so forth like that. But I actually have to sit down and, and research just to figure out what they are. Because like I said, it was deliberately designed to be confusing. Well, no, so. no, that's fair. But it does. Um, but that mentality does does kind of translate into your economy. Because your unit of currency mm-hmm. is a valora, and that's divided into right. 100 units um, called a, a, a futris. A futris. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, mm-hmm. so there you, there you have like a similar type of, you know, you're still following that same format. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's decimalized currency. But, I mean, we, we don't actually break the valora down uh, lower than, um, than one. Uh, we, don't, we don't make like subdivisions of the valora. We just do one, five, ten, and... 20, I think, are the, are the divisions for our money. Oh, got it. But what makes the Valora interesting is that it's based on, not on silver, not on gold or platinum, from those standards. It's actually based on the cookie dough standard, chocolate chip cookie dough to be exact. And that's what our money is based on, yes. And not even just not even just cookie dough, which I could actually get behind. If you if you guys made Molossian cookie dough um, and based your economy on that, I'm behind it. But you guys have taken an American corporation and have based it on the Pillsbury yeah. tube, and actually a tube, yeah, Pillsbury, yeah, uh, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a tube of Pillsbury cookie dough is is one Fenwick uh, of, of cookie no. dough. No, well, it's one one Fenwick in weight, yes, yes, uh-huh. in weight, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. that's that's the weight, and the value of a of a tube of uh, of cookie dough would be about five floor, I think. So no, I think that's the uh, I think that's up. Breaks down something along that line, and the conversion into U.S. is seventy-five cents for one Valora. Yes, uh-huh. the current the current rate as of today, as of mm-hmm. you know eight p.m. Pacific Standard of, Time, not Malora Standard day. Time, never, right? <laughs> yeah, as of every day, I never change it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, why did you choose cookie dough, and why did you choose Pillberry? These are things I must know. Uh, back uh, in nineteen ninety-eight, when. Uh, Malasia first came onto the internet as opposed to being just in paper and stuff like that. We were briefly affiliated with uh, another micronation called the United Provinces of Utopia, and one of their, uh, uh, I guess, cultural aspects was something called a cookie dough fest. That's where you would eat raw cookie dough and watch bad monster movies. Uh, now, of course, in the succeeding years, we've discovered that eating, bad, eating raw cookie dough is a bad thing, uh, so we don't do that part anymore. But cookie dough became sort of a part of our – we did it for a long time to do that. And nobody really died, but you know. Uh, but uh, so it sort of became part of our culture, and so as part of our culture, uh, I made it the basis for our currency mm. to do something different. We're all about doing something different here in Boston. That's why we have our own measurement system, we have our own time zone. Our money is based on cookie dough, 
just whatever, you know, we declare war on countries that don't exist anymore, <laughs> whatever we can do. And what is a standard, like how, how, if you, just to give us something to, so I'm in Pacific time, what is Molossian standard time? What is, how does that relate to? Molossian standard time, Molossian standard time is 39 minutes ahead of Pacific time or 21 minutes behind mountain time, depending on which way you're facing. Got it. And uh, yeah, we did that again, just to be different. And not long after we instituted our own time zone, like President Chavez of Venezuela decided that he was going to have his own time zone, which I understand recently they're thinking of getting rid of. And uh, not too long ago, uh, North Korea decided they're going to have their own time zone, probably somewhere in the 1860s. And so uh, you can only imagine, of course, that they probably got the idea from us. I was going to say, uh, you are in good company as far as world dictators go. You are setting the bar, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I love it. Uh, We're now, doing our best. Now, you guys have also have a phone service as well. How does that work? You guys we have do. put a whole infrastructure in place. Right. Actually, let's address that first. Um, what we want in Malaysia is we want to be as much a functioning nation as possible, not just an idea, not just something on paper or a nice website or whatever, but an actual functional, actual functioning nation. And uh, so I have a project called the Functionality Project, and it's sort of an ongoing thing so that when we create something, build something, imagine something, it actually works. Um, and that part of that is our phone system. Uh, we, you know, besides cell phones, which just about everybody has everywhere all over the world, uh, we also have a landline system which runs throughout the entire country. Uh, connects the, the custom shack to uh, uh, my office, to uh, the uh, Masia, um I'm sorry, the uh, Tiki Hut uh, Bar and Grill, and uh, to the government house. And, so it, it, uh, and how are they? So, what thing. are these phones? These are all military uh, field phones, basically, mm. uh, dressed up a little bit, uh, but they all have the batteries inside, and you crank it with a little. little uh, Little thing and it, and it rings the other line. It's basically a party line. So sure. if, if I was to call from I don't know, my office to a government house, every other phone in Malaysia would ring at the same time. But um, <laughs> we have separate. Well, we have. There's a ring system. I've established a system where if it rings three times, you get the tiki. Uh, if it rings two times, you get my office. Uh, that that sort of thing because it is a party line. So no, that's, um, but that it works. Sense. It works really well. In fact, uh, it's tested pretty much every time we have tourists. Uh, we have two phones out there that are about maybe 100 feet apart, maybe not even that much. And one one tourist out of a group will bring the other tourist out of a group uh, on the phone. And it's a lot of fun. It's a good time playing with our phones. Is it a free system? I mean, do you offer this to to, in, to, to tourists and other people visiting, or does it, does it cost money like a pay phone? No, no, it's a totally free system, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Now, you also have a railroad system yeah. that you can buy, that you can invest in. Yeah, we do have a railroad, Mossy Railroad. Um, basically, it's a G-scale like model railroad. It's a large-scale model railroad. Uh, which runs around Norton Park, and we do have uh, railroad bonds that we sell uh, because eventually, at some point, we would like to install a railroad you can actually ride on here in Malaysia. Not obviously a gigantic Union Pacific-looking thing or something like that, but more like a park railroad that people can get on and ride around our country. Um, the country itself is not that big, but there's about half of it, which is desert, and especially when people visit in the summertime, it can be kind of hot and uncomfortable to be schlepping through the desert to see the sights. Right. And so I thought if we could build a railroad, put it out there, and and uh, people can, can ride around and see what's out there in comparative comfort. That's that's incredible. And you also and you fund all this stuff with you sell things. You have a shop online that basically you, you sell soap and different right. Malassian, um like mm-hmm. branded items. Yeah. Correct. Right. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I noticed that you guys sell T-shirts, um, but you also sell um, thongs and baby briefs. Uh, which one sells better, T-shirts or the thongs <laughs> oh, and yeah. baby briefs? Uh, Top seller. 
I think we sold a few t-shirts. That's actually through the Cafe Press website. And we don't honestly sell that much stuff through the Cafe Press website. Maybe, uh, I think last year we sold maybe two or three things. Uh, most of the stuff we sell uh, through the various, uh, I guess, entities uh, that we run otherwise. For example, the war bonds I mentioned earlier, we sell those. Uh, we, sell, we sell money through the Bank of Malasia. Uh, we have a Malasia Naval Academy that people can attend online. And if they, uh, if they want, when they complete it, they can purchase a, an honorary commission in the Malasia Navy, uh, that kind of stuff. So that, that's where we make the vast majority of our money. In fact, I was a little surprised that we had money the other day when I went to the cafe press store or something like that. <laughs> I didn't know we had money. Yeah. Right, that's great. Uh, what about the soap? <laughs> this is this is made in Malasia. Please tell me that this is a true It export. is, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it is a true export. In fact, it was designed to be a mundane thing that a country might sell to, I don't know, another country. Um, if, you, if we were to have a, a back-and-forth trading agreement between other micronations, I wanted to have a generic product. Uh, but so far, no other micronations bought it, but a lot of other people have. We send out, uh, we sell Malasia Supremo soap uh, all over the world all the time. It's one of our bigger selling uh, products. And oddly enough, I don't know why it's quite so popular, but it's called just soap. But at any rate, yes, absolutely made right here in Malasia. That is incredible. And you also have a national park system. Um, what are the sites that you're going to? Yes, indeed. Uh, well, we have a variety of different sites on the National Park System. Uh, a few miles outside of Malasia in the U.S., we have a little enclave that we sort of claimed as our, it's like a waterfall, seasonal waterfall uh, that we like to visit like once a year. It's very remote. And then uh, the back half of our home territory here uh, is a uh, is the Back 40 uh, National Park. And there's a nature trail that goes to there. We even have a brochure that we pass out to visitors if they want to walk through the desert and uh, see um, the sites that are out there. So that's one of our, and of course, also up near uh, the waterfall, over the border in the U.S. is where we had the, uh, the I think one, one or two of the battles of the, uh, of the Mustachistan Wars. Right. Not much to see, but it's there. But it's so there. <laughs> people want to check it out. And and you also, um, and I guess we can kind of move into some of the other th- how people can get in touch with you. But you also organized Microcon. Uh, you did your first one last year. Right. Uh, what what is this? Yes. It sounds amazing. It's just a meetup of uh, uh, micronationalists. Uh, mostly throughout North America, so basically uh, the U.S. and Canada, uh, and because there are quite a number of micronations in uh, in North America, and so we all met up in Anaheim. I think about 40 people there in Anaheim in April 2015, and we're going to meet up again in Atlanta, well, Tucker outside of Atlanta, uh, in 2017, in June of 2017, and already uh, because it's now a year out, uh, we have a large uh, large number of folks that have already committed to going to, of course, ourselves included. Uh, we're not hosting that. We hosted the first one in Anaheim, then the idea is to pass the torch, so to speak. And uh, the Kingdom of Ruritania will be hosting the next one. See, I can go to the one in Anaheim. I was actually really excited. I was hoping you are going to do it again in Anaheim, because I can get to Anaheim really easily. But Atlanta's a little more difficult. But I do understand the pressures of running a nation and running a, a convention. Um, and you don't have a convention center in um, the, the country of Malaysia, so I, I do understand that. No, we don't. We, we have access to a facility nearby though, that we could we could use, but Malasia is re- remote, which is why I chose to do it someplace like Anaheim, uh, because getting to our country is you know, it's not someplace you go there by accident. Uh, Anaheim, on the other hand, folks go there all the time, and we know why. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's one of those one of those things. So uh, and I also I envisioned if it was successful. Uh, to I guess set the set the standard, and then I wanted somebody else to run with it, and do the next one, and the next one, and the next one, that kind of thing. No, that's fair. Um, 
Now, how can people find uh, more information? Because you have newsletters that come out. Um, it's a, you have a very active country. You're always improving. You're always building an infrastructure. Um, this is an incredible place. People want to visit. Where can they find you? Uh, well, first off, our, our website, which is www.molossia.org. Um, and then just start digging in there. I believe there's about maybe 500 pages on that website. So. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> so, you know, people, yeah, you can definitely spend a lot of time uh, learning about our nation uh, going through there. Sure uh, we also have a Facebook, Republic uh, of Molossia. Uh, so, and uh, we can be also, I believe, uh, and I'm not that smart about how this stuff works, but uh, we have a Twitter, a Molossia Twitter. But I'm not how, sure how Twitter works. Is that a hashtag thing? Is, no, I it's, really an don't know. it's at Molossia. It's an app. It's an, it's an app. Yeah, that's it. It's an app. Yeah, at Molossia. So we have that, and uh, well, we will hashtag. When, well, I, when I post things, sure. I'm going to hashtag Molossia. So there, you'll have a hashtag as well. I'll make sure it happens. Oh, okay. That's like an attention getter thing or something, isn't it? Yes. Something like that, or like, yeah, okay. Uh, so, we, but we do have a Twitter, and then um, so Twitter, Facebook, and our website are the main things. Uh, once a month, we publish our newsletter, and we'll also announce that via Twitter and on our Facebook and on our website. And then once a month, we also publish Radio Molossia, which is our online radio show. Uh, each episode lasts about 20 minutes. There's uh, usually three songs, uh, the previous month's news, and, um, and then a variety of little, little things that we throw in there. Uh, so we've got all kinds of different things going on to, uh, I guess, broadcast. Of course, I always like pointing folks to our uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we've uh, I discovered the other day we've published over 50 movies. I was kind of surprised at that number. And uh, so and, and of all, all sorts of different things. A lot of them are documentary-type movies. Most of them are silent movies. Um, made like newsreels from back in the day of, of various uh, of things that we've done here in Malasia. So I like putting folks to the movies. It's a lot of fun making movies. So, Your Excellency, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. This has been an absolute pleasure and has been so much fun. So thank you very much. And the pleasure has definitely been mine. You're very, very welcome. Oh, thank it's been you. A, an honor to be here. Uh, so let's, before we end, I want to end on um, the National Malasian Anthem. Can we do that? Can we do, can we do this together? What, to sing it? Yeah, man, let's do it. Pride. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of suffering a cold right now. I'd rather not sing. Can I sing it? <laughs> you feel free. Go right well, ahead. Well, I'm not yes, going to sing it. I actually, I actually don't know the <laughs> tune that it's to, but I'm going to say the words uh, before we end. Um, so this is okay, the National Anthem of Malasia. There's a place beneath the western sun, a country proud, a nation next to none, an oasis amid the desert land, standing tall in this uncommon land. From the mountains high down to the valleys wide, our flag of blue and white and green, it ever flies. Where hawks and mustangs roam, fair Malasia is our home. Treasured land of wind and sage and mighty dreams, our country strong and free and proud, it reigns supreme. Fair Malasia is our home. Fair Malasia is our home. And on that sentiment, I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you want to follow me online, follow the show. You can follow both in separate entities and separate instances if you wish. Uh, the show is on Facebook at facebook.com backslash fascinating nouns. Twitter handle is at fascinating noun singular, as is the Pinterest page where there is going to be a ton of pictures up about the Republic of Malasia, and it is pinterest.com backslash fascinating noun. If you want to check out 
me, at Daniel J. Glenn. I've got several other projects, along with my Instagram page, which is at the Daniel J. Glenn. And of course, all this stuff, including links to the YouTube channel, are on fascinatingnouns.com at the bottom, where you can sign up for an amazing newsletter that comes out once a week, explaining all the new projects that are coming up, including forthcoming Fascinating Nouns episodes as fascinatingnouns.com. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.